Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's only a kick, a jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On today's Autosport podcast, another exclusive interview. September 16th, 2019, Autosport reported that the former Manchester United and Los Angeles Rams executive Jamie Regal has been appointed as the new CEO of Formula E. Well, let's fast forward exactly one year to the day, and today we catch up with him. Once again, our hashtag Thinking Forward series brings you closer to some of the biggest names in sport and asks them about how they're feeling about the current states of the industry, their sport, and how recent events have affected how they go about doing their business. On the show today, James Allen talks to Jamie about social justice and why esports are part of Formula E's future. Well, Jamie, thanks so much for making the time for us today for this hashtag Thinking Forward. Um, first of all, many congratulations on getting away the final of the Formula E season in Berlin. It was, a, it was a novel approach to have a series of races in one location, but it was interesting because it mirrored what UEFA did with the finals of the, of the Champions League, and, and you got similarly great engagement, I, I, particularly uh, from, from the younger generations. What, what did you learn that could be useful uh, from that experience uh, for the future? Well, first of all, thanks very much for having me on. It's, uh, it's great to be here and, and appreciate uh, you guys inviting us. And look, I mean, the, uh, the congratulations go to the team. I mean, what, what we pulled off uh, was, was really nothing short of spectacular um, and super proud of it, especially in the context. Now, you know, look, all spring, you know, us and every other motorsport and every other sport, we were trying to figure out how can we either start our season or complete our season and, and deliver events. And, you know, the way we looked at it was, you know, we had to do so in a way that was respectful of, of our ecosystem, you know, our, our teams, our drivers, all of our staff. How do we keep them healthy and safe. We had to be really respectful of the environments in which we're racing, right? I mean, let's remember the broader context. Um, and then we wanted to be able to, to crown a champion, ideally in a venue that was a Formula E venue. 
and and that was really important to us. And so we looked at uh, we looked at Germany early because they had so much success with uh, the Bundesliga opening up early, and they had experience with the protocols and how to uh, get the permits set up and all those good things. So there was a, there was a safety side, and then the question was, okay, well, how do we how do we innovate a little bit on the product and, and make this compelling? And uh, you know, we we, we believe we uh, we tried to find something that was unique within motorsport in the sense of packing it in, as you say, a little bit like UEFA, uh, having the races, the tagline was nine days, six races, three tracks, one champion. And uh, that probably underestimates the level of logistical uh, work and everything that went into it. It was a nice marketing slogan, but you know, we, we did something different. And, and I think, as you say, that, that ended up pulling in uh, a level of interest from the fans that maybe you wouldn't get if uh, the races were spaced out as they normally are. You've come into Formula E with a, obviously an impressive record in your career across across sports management and and recently obviously uh, with, with with soccer with football with with Manchester United. But I was very interested when you started in the role of, of CEO that you were clear you were going to adhere to the founding principles and mission uh, of the sport, which is to get more people buying and using electric vehicles, particularly in cities. So I'm interested now that you've had a bit of time and you're looking forward with where you're going to take uh, Formula E. How are you evolving that together with the, the purpose-driven mission and agenda that's now obviously central to the FIA's uh, uh, mission in motorsport? Well, I was very much attracted to Formula E because it's an incredible product, right? And even beyond motorsport or beyond sport, you know, I'm a big believer that the best businesses, uh, the best consumer products have, you know, a really distinguishing feature that, uh, stands out from from their competitors and, and, and formula e has that in spades right i mean first of all it's electric you know we race in cities uh the level of manufacturing participation we have um the the race itself uh in terms of how uh, the qualifying format is structured and you know the fact that we have a different winner pretty much every every race um you know all those ingredients make formula e really special and that's a huge testament to alejandro's you know, vision and, and him and Alberto and all the team who, who built Formula E, uh, you know, what, the, what they built was really something special. And so, you know, I came in with, with frankly, um, a lot of excitement and a lot of humility around, you know, how, how, can you, how can you improve on this? How can you make it bigger? Now, now equally, the reality is we're, we're relatively young compared to pretty much any, any other sport out there. Um, and so, you know, that was part of the appeal as well is, Okay, well, we've got this this fantastic raw material. The team has executed to date. How can we make it bigger, right? How do we do uh, what we talk about as as a mission in terms of accelerating electric vehicle adoption? Well, you know, depending on which country and how you measure it, it's it's at best you know one to two points or one to two percentage points of of adoption. So if you accept that that's our goal, we've got a really long way to go uh, in terms of driving that. And uh, you know, that's that's really the plan is to try to figure out how can we reinforce you know what's what's fantastic about formula e and what people love about it and then and then try to draw in new audiences and, and draw people in so that uh, we uh we we go a little further to addressing that uh, that big big objective of ours what impact do you think um jamie this covid crisis is going to have on the drive that we were already seeing towards electric mobility and the decarbonization of of motorsport across the board, and and how do you think it will impact the attitude of, of manufacturers and where they focus their motorsport budgets going forwards? Well, look, I mean, when we were in uh, late March, early April, um, you know, it's it's a pretty scary 
place to be, right? If you, if you recall those moments, we were all, you know, very uncertain around where the world was going. And, you know, as I touched on before, I'm a massive believer in Formula E's long-term potential. I'm a big believer in the power of sport to inspire. So, you know, I, I have no doubts about the long-term trajectory. Equally, we're all, you know, whichever form of motorsport, uh, we're all in the live events business with incremental exposure to the automotive industry. And, you know, in April, that was, that was a fairly uncertain place to be. Um, I think what we've seen is, you know, the, if you will, the climate agenda or the push to electric vehicles has, has, has come up. I think on the consumer side, right, people were uh, looking outside, perhaps breathing fresher air than, than they'd breathed in a long time, certainly if they live in a city. So, you know, that touches right at um, what we're all about. Um, with the economic disruption from the crisis, you saw a lot of government support and stimulus into the economies. And, and you saw it in France, uh, in Germany, in the UK, where those subsidies were pushed towards sustainable technologies. So again, we view that as, as really positive, right? I mean, it doesn't hurt to have, have a bit of uh, government uh, uh, wind at your back. And so, you know, we feel pretty good about where we are, but we're also cognizant of, you know, the challenges, you know, we all collectively face. We have to figure out a way to to bring our product um, back, whatever type of motorsport it is, we have to be able to figure out a way to host events in a safe way and and get fans coming back. Because as much as I'm proud of, of what we all achieved collectively in Berlin, you know, uh, I would be lying if I said it wouldn't be much better if we had all of our fans there as well. So the sport obviously has a, a strong sort of sense of uh, a mission around purpose, as, as we've touched upon, and electric mobility, but. Formula E has actually proved very entertaining as well. I mean, the races are close and the, there's, a lot, there's a lot of action. How do you feel about it as an entertainment product and, and, and what you're getting out of it? Well, I think if you look at the uh, ingredients that all of the best sports, whether they're globally relevant or whether they're really um, big in a particular market, so I'm, I'm Canadian, so I'm thinking of ice hockey, um, you know, sports that... Uh, have been commercially successful that have big, deep, passionate fan bases, which is, of course, our ambition is, is, is to achieve that. You know, what are the characteristics that they have? You know, they're, they're embedded in, in, in the culture in a way that's pretty authentic. They have a product that's inherently competitive. The outcomes are unpredictable. Um, and so when I look at Formula E, you know, we have a lot of those ingredients, right? We're, we're topical as it relates to electric mobility. The, the way the FIA and Formula E and Alejandro and the team set up the qualifying structure to, to mix things up. Uh, the nature of the, uh, the competition is such that you know, we have on average, you know, whatever it is, uh, every, every uh, four races, we have three different winners. You know? So that's, that's fantastic for uh, live entertainment. And so we have all the ingredients there, um, but equally people have, you know, lots of things to do in their lives and you have to you have to be able to pull them in and make sure that it's it's a compelling experience and and there's no there's no silver bullet there but you try to focus on on the race product and then try to build the the guest experience the fan experience around that and coming back to the manufacturers obviously as you said it was a tricky place to be uh, once the crisis kicked in and no one was buying any cars for quite a long time manufacturers are having to do all kinds of scenario planning as to what the future is going to look like now obviously around the world things opened up a bit cars are, are selling again and what are you hearing from them about their appetite to invest in the sport in the short to medium term well we spent a lot of time speaking with um, all of our teams and 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 you know in particular the manufacturers who you know have an, have an end product uh, that ties into formula e 
this spring. Um, and, you know, in really simple terms, our goal as the championship or our, our, our priorities as a championship is, as we touched on before, to grow the audience, to make it the sport as popular as possible, and also to make it an appealing investment proposition. And, and whether you're a large manufacturer um, who has an end game uh, that ties to their electric mobility fleet that, that's either present or coming out, or whether you're an independent team uh, who are looking at uh, Formula E uh, uh, to win championships exclusively and hopefully make some money, there needs to be a path to profitability. There needs to be a return on investment. And we spent a lot of time this spring with, with the FIA, uh, with all of the representatives of the teams and, and the manufacturers, trying to say, okay, well, what can we control about the business model? What we can't control is, you know, when the virus is going to be under control, where we're going to be able to race, on what day. Um, you know, some of those things are, are, are unknown variables, even, even today as we look into 2021. What we can control is the inputs, right? We can figure out, okay, how, uh, how attractive is it to participate in, in Formula E? What does it cost to put a competitive team on the grid? And that's, you know, really the, the DNA of the championship is that any team, any driver can win. And, and, you know, Alejandro set it up in a way where try to keep the costs as controlled as possible. But, you know, as with anything that ties to innovation and motorsport, you know, those, those costs have a habit of creep, creeping up. And so we've looked really closely at resource restrictions. We looked at Gen 3. We looked at delaying it. We didn't feel like Gen 3 delaying it would be the right signal to the market because ultimately we're about progress and, and there needs to be a link to um, innovation that ties ultimately to to the road car programs so we wanted to be able to launch it but it didn't need to be launched in the way perhaps that it, it was previously conceived and so one of the simple things we did that i think is pretty impactful for for the roi case is we said okay well we'll, we'll make the the generation last longer so it'll be four years instead of three we'll have two homologations instead of four um, and so, you know, that, that has, a, has an impact on, on the, on the uh, cost program. And in simple terms, what we're trying to do is, I don't want to say minimize, because that, that would be the wrong way to characterize, but, but reduce the total cost of participation in Formula E such that you have a much better chance of, of generating return. And then our job as the championship is, you know, can we, can we grow the audience? We get the, the numerator going for them so they can, they can make money in sponsorship and media. And I guess looking at it from the outside, it's, it's, it's really about getting the, the balance right between the common parts and, and, and manufacturer parts, the things that leave room for them to talk about innovation so that you don't feel it's something static because it's like a shark. If it's not moving forward, it, it sort of dies, isn't it, this, this kind of series? And it's interesting what you did, that, that work at the beginning of the crisis on, on managing the costs. And just looking a little bit across at what Formula One's done with the sort of the budget cap, the leveling up agenda as well in the rules i mean are there any discussions around that going going on in your, in your series yeah absolutely i i think um we have a responsibility to develop a profitable business model for ourselves um but also for all of our stakeholders and you know the challenge of course is is each of the teams and each of the manufacturers comes at it with slightly different inputs on what their objectives are right so um, we can't, we try to normalize that for, to a degree, but ultimately you try to focus on, you know, is the product really compelling? Is the racing compelling? And for Formula E, what that means is every team has a really good chance of winning. Where is the investment going in the cars that is going to allow each team or each manufacturer to be able to tell a differentiated story? In our case, that, that's all about the powertrain um, and the software development that goes into uh, converting battery energy into uh, into uh, into power into the uh, powertrain, 
And then, okay, you can do, deal with resource restrictions, you can deal with sporting restrictions, but you know, the other uh, side of the equation then ties to, to the financing. And you know, we are looking at, uh, if you want to call it a cost cap or uh, financial regulations, we're not uh, as far along as, as Formula One are. And you know, they've obviously been successful in, in instituting that, which I think is, is, is a good thing, um, generally speaking. And you know, uh, one of the bright sides of a crisis like this is it focuses the minds. I mean, when I started, um, a year ago, it was made very clear to me that this wouldn't be possible in motorsport. It exists in a lot of other sports. In, um, so you either believe motorsport is genuinely uh, unique in that regard, or it's a question of regulation, rules, and enforcement. Uh, but to have all that, you need collective will amongst the stakeholders, right? And I think what, what uh, we've seen in the last six months is, is a push toward that. So. I would say that uh, I don't want to make a prediction that we will definitely do it, but it's certainly something that's that's on the table, and I think uh, would serve really a powerful signal to reinforce that that return on investment case for for either the existing teams in the championship, or frankly for for new investment who, who new investors who are considering coming in. Let's um, get back to the fans. Looking ahead to next season, it's due to kick off obviously in January uh, twenty one. Will we see fans attending races? Uh, and, and can you imagine by the time you get to London, almost 12 months from, from now, you'll have a full crowd? I think the last six months have shown that making uh, bold prognostications around the future, around this pandemic, are, uh, is a fool's errand. But uh, I will be very disappointed if next year we do not have fans at some of our races in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, look, I, this summer uh, in Berlin, what we optimized for, as I said before, was trying to deliver the races, delivering a championship and doing some doing so in a in a, in a in as risk-free way as possible. I think as we look to season seven for us or, or 2021, there's no doubt that the world is going to be impacted by COVID. And that's going to depend on which country you're in and the regulatory environment. Can we travel into a country? If you can travel in, how many people can be hosted at a particular venue at the same time? There's a lot of variables that go into that. Where I take a lot of confidence is, despite the fact that you know, in the in the current moment, you know, we're seeing a bit of a second wave in a lot of markets and a lot of countries. Where I take a lot of confidence is, we know we were able to deliver something in Berlin, and we did some sampling. So, for example, we did an offsite an offsite drive-in product where it was actually a pretty small test, but about 100 cars that were either electric or plug-in hybrids could come and watch on a big screen, sort of like you uh, were back in the 1950s. So we think there's ways, even if we're limited on a single venue, to be able to host fan events around a city, uh, which would allow uh, us to be able to engage our fans, our sponsors to be able to activate. So I think we just need to adapt and be flexible. Um, where I take confidence is, is Germany. You know, it's a thousand people per event today. Um, my understanding is that's moving to 5,000 in, in a couple months' time. The Premier League in the UK is looking at uh, bringing in fans starting in, in October. I believe the RFU are as well. So, you know, the good news for Formula E is next next July in London, um, you know, I, I can't look you in the eye and make a, make a bold prediction, but I, I'm sure we'll find a way to uh, to get some fans exposed to that, that experience. And... Um... Talking about accessibility to the sport, obviously esports is a is a critical component of that for for any uh, any sport, particularly racing series at the moment. Uh, like many rights holders, obviously you you were active in the lockdown period with the virtual racing series Race at Home initiative, and uh, obviously in support of of Unicef. 
UNICEF. What did that do for you in terms of the, your, your development in the esports space and particularly in terms of accessibility, people discovering your sport? Truth be told, we were not first to market, right? I remember in, in March, um, and I'm sure, you, I'm sure you recall, James, and, you know, there was a number of initiatives popping up and you know, we were looking at it and saying, okay, well, we're not going to be first, right? So we're not going to have that, that novelty factor. Then the question is, how do we stand out from you know, what is, what is a, a crowded area, not just in motorsport, but, but in sport generally? And you know, we focused on some, some principles, as you touched on, we partnered with UNICEF because we really felt that that was appropriate in, in the context and we wanted to support um, uh, youth in particular in, in, the, in the challenge faced with COVID. We also said, okay, how do we differentiate the product? We differentiate the product by making sure that all of the Formula E teams and all of the Formula E drivers are participating. And then we also differentiate by having this, what we call the challenge grid, which basically melded into one uh, broadcast product, uh, the, the challenge grid of, of, of gamers and, and celebrities. And so we kept them, if you will, in parallel. Uh, they weren't racing against each other, which, which was really intentional. And so when I look at it, you know, the, the audiences were, were great. I mean, there were some markets we were pulling as big, if not larger audiences on uh, our race at home series as, as we do for a normal event. It shows we have some, some work to do on, on the regular events, but it also shows that there's appetite. The demographic clearly is younger. I mean, formally, we, we believe we're our product with things like attack mode and fan boost were, were sort of a natural blend of, of the real and the gaming worlds anyway. And so that, that leap isn't so great but it really did serve a, a, a great purpose there of, of, of melding those audiences. And, and I think the, the biggest um, uh, reinforcement that we got was, you know, as you can probably imagine, corralling everyone together to, to, to go after it in the way we did was, we had, had a number of challenges and you know, all the teams and all the drivers have said they loved it and they, they want to continue. And so, you know, we're working now on, on plans to figure out, okay, how do we use this to support the main, Formula E championship and and to uh, to to access that complementary audience. Uh, and finally, Jamie, obviously, we drawing all the strands of this conversation together. We all feel uh, uh, more vulnerable, I think, as a world as a result of, of what's happened in, in 2020 with COVID, especially uh, events-based businesses like sports. What steps are you putting in place to to future-proof, if you like, Formula E as a sport? Formula E has. Is, is somewhat unique in the sense that it was founded with this this core principle to try to make the world a better place in, in simple terms, right? Through addressing climate change with, with electric vehicles. The world is facing an enormous number of challenges. Of course, COVID, which we've talked about, uh, racial justice, social justice issues, which have come up the agenda massively in the last three months. And I think we'll see 2020 as an inflection point for sport where, you know, there's an expectation from, from our fans um, that we leverage our platform to, uh, for, for greater good, to draw attention to, you know, some of the inequities in the world. And we had a lot of time to reflect on that as Formula E this spring. And we said, hey, you know, in simple terms, we're about a better future, right? That's what Formula E is all about in terms of addressing climate change. Where else should we be? Uh, lending our platform, where else should we be speaking? And, and the social justice thing is really important, which is why we we came up with um, this this sort of core principle around positively charged, which is really an internal rallying point for for our staff, but then also it radiates out to uh, to our partners and uh, and to our fans. And look, I mean, the world is is a really challenged place, and I think this is one of those things you're 
you've lived through the, the year and we're going to look back, you know, three, four or five years from now and say, wow, that was, that was, that was an incredible time to live through. And, you know, as a sport, you have to be humble about it, but also sport has this wonderful power to, to showcase the best of humanity. And, and we try to do our, our small part in that. Well, Jamie, really appreciate you taking the time today to speak to us for this hashtag thinking forward and all the very best in the preparations for the new season. And uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks very much, James. Really a uh, pleasure to join you. Thank you. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Nothing is more powerful than the connection between storyteller and audience. Over 100 million Americans listen to podcasts monthly, forming lasting connections with their favorite creators. Ad Results Media helps breakthrough brands join the conversation with advertising that feels authentic and organic. With over 20 years of expertise in the audio influencer space, Ad Results Media amplifies brands across thousands of shows, publishers, and emerging platforms. Be part of the story. Learn more at adresultsmedia.com/story. That's adresultsmedia.com/story. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.